Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, what a wonderful day it is. Thank you so much for the uh, weather that we can enjoy. Thank you so much for our church family and fellowship that we can rejoice in. Uh, thank you for your love that we remember and celebrate this morning as we share the Lord's Supper. And we thank you for your word that we've just sung about and just heard read to us. And as we pause and uh, reflect on it for a few minutes, please, by your spirit, use it to uh, sink deep into our hearts and minds so that it might change our lives and deepen our love for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, this morning as we um, continue in the book of Acts, we look at two miracles here. We see Peter, the best known, I guess, of the disciples of Jesus, heal a man, Aeneas, who'd been paralysed for at least eight years. And then he brings a woman called Tabitha back to life from the dead. For some people, it's verses like this that are exactly what's wrong with Christianity as far as they're concerned. How can sane people with brains think like think that things like this are possible? These things must be, they would say, the product of imagination or creativity or perhaps their misunderstandings. People didn't realise that uh, Tabitha wasn't really dead or perhaps they're more serious, their deliberate lies to deceive and trick people down through the ages. But I say this a lot because I think it's true. If you, That's an assumption. If you believe in a God who's powerful, if you believe in a God who's above and beyond the natural order, then these things are not at all outside the bounds of reality and not at all hard to believe in, I don't think. In fact, I often say this, but I, I truly believe it. I think it takes more blind faith to think that you and me uh, and this world came about because of a cosmic accident or because we've evolved out of nothing. I think that takes more blind faith than uh, the thought that there's a creator who sometimes gets involved in his creation in a way that's supernatural. However, it's not just non-Christians who have strong feelings on passages and verses like ours today. There are Christians who would see these verses very differently. Christians think differently when we come to, especially, miracles in the book of Acts. So there are some Christians who would say, uh, think and say that we should expect uh, to see and experience miracles like these exactly the same today as we do when we look back then. So if we're not seeing the paralysed raised up, or if we're not seeing the dead come back to life, then there's one of a few things wrong. Either we don't have enough faith, or we don't have enough expectation of God, or there's something else going wrong. We're not doing what perhaps we should as Christians. Uh, then there's another school of thought that would say that uh, that age of miracles that we read in the book of Acts is done now. That the so-called cessationist position, if you've heard that word, that this period in, in Acts that we're reading about and hearing of uh, Sunday by Sunday was special and unique, and that's why it's characterised by the miracles and the supernatural. But now you and I are in a different era. Now we don't have to have apostles who need to do miraculous healings or raising people from the dead to authenticate themselves because back then they didn't have the scriptures to be able to authenticate that they were saying the right things, so they did it by miracles. Today we don't have that anymore. Why? Because we've got the scriptures. No one needs to authenticate through miracles anymore. You can check what the person at the front saying what the Bible says. Now I don't personally go along with either of those two positions. Seems to me very clear that this period uh, of church history is a unique one. As the apostles, straight after Jesus' death, without the written scriptures, took the good news of Jesus out, there is a uniqueness to this period 
But nowhere in the Bible do you see any pronouncement from God that he's stopped doing miracles. Nowhere in the scriptures do you see uh, any acknowledgement that Jesus has retired from the supernatural business or anything like that. So I think, myself, that it's silly to think that God won't do amazing things today. We just sing of him being an awesome God, a healer, a powerful. Uh, he'll continue, it seems to me, doing miracles that break the laws of nature. But neither should we automatically expect things to be the same as we see them in the book of Acts. Because it is a unique time. And in fact, I'm going to explain today that rather than these two miracles being seen as just random supernatural things that Peter did, or examples of things that we should expect today in the same way, I'm going to suggest that these two things are specific. They're there for a reason and a purpose. So let's get into the verses and uh, have a look at them. Over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, we've been focusing on Saul. That's what chapter 9 of Acts has been about. Saul, this enemy of Jesus, this enemy of Christians, has wonderfully had his life changed by the Lord. He now trusts in Jesus. Instead of seeing Jesus as the enemy, he's a follower of Jesus. And we've seen him become a Christian, become converted, and we've seen the beginning of his ministry. But today, we're back with Peter. And Peter, we're told, is travelling around the area, travelling around Judea. And notice it says in verse 32, he's visiting the saints in Lydda. Who are the saints? Saints is a term for Christians. If you're here today and you trust in Jesus, you are a saint. Have a think about that for a moment. You may never have thought about yourself in that way before. In fact, your parents may never have called you that before. But you are a saint. In biblical terms, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you're a saint. And if you think, well, hang on, I, I know I'm not a saint. I'm not like some of the saints you hear about from, oh, old, I, I know what I'm like. No, no, no. You have the righteousness of Christ credited to you. You can't be any more saintly. You are a saint. Saint Ian. Saint Claire. Saint Molly. No, not Molly. But <laughs> she's not even here, she's absent. We're saints. Notice, Peter isn't just travelling around making saints. He's not just travelling around making Christians. He's visiting them. I think that's important to notice as well. Jesus called his original followers at the end of Matthew's Gospel to make what? Disciples, not just converts. Not just converts. Evangelism is such a priority for Christians. We want to take the good news of Jesus out there. We want to see people like uh, Saul, or as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, change their life and come to know Jesus. But there's more than that. We want those Christians, those saints, to grow and to mature and to deepen their love for the Lord. Peter, and I take it all of us as Christians, have an obligation for the maturing, the encouraging, the spurring on of Christians. We're responsible for each other. And we see Peter taking that responsibility seriously here. Have a look around the room. We're all saints and we need to look after one another. Well, as he's doing this, this visiting of the saints, he finds a man called Aeneas. Now, I think Aeneas is a non-Christian. Uh, you could argue with me and I can't prove it, but I think it because it says here in verse 33, he descri describes him as a man named Aeneas. But in verse 36, we hear of a disciple named Tabitha. So Tabitha is described very clearly as a Christian, as a believer, Aeneas isn't. Uh, so I take it that he's not. But whether he is or he isn't, the key thing is he's a paralytic. 
In other words, he's a man paralyzed, and he's been in bed for eight years. Eight years. Think about that. Peter heals him after eight years, and the man straight away gets up. That's incredible. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Literally, he says, get up and make your bed. As a parent, I've said those words often <laughs> to people not paralysed and had far less results happen. But when Peter speaks, we're told the man immediately gets up. After eight years, presumably he would have lost muscle density and his, his legs would have been practically useless, but such is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's instant, instantly able to rise and able to move about on and you can see, I think, that this is no fake faith healer type situation because verse 35 tells us all the people who lived in that area, it says all the people who lived in that area, saw Aeneas and then turned to the Lord. That's what happens when you've known someone, be in bed for eight years, unable to move. That's what happens when you personally have seen them day after day, week after week, month after month, paralysed, and then you see them instantly up and about. Very telling, too, that people turn not to Peter, but to the Lord. They turn not to Peter, who's the, the human instrument used by the Lord to heal Aeneas, but verse 35 says they turn to Jesus himself. And I point that out because I, I worry sometimes in some of our Christian culture that um, you know, today when we sometimes hear of the, the great TV healers or even celebrity preachers, it can become easily about them, not about the Lord. The good ones will point people to the Lord. The ones with their heart in the right place will have people leaving their ministry, not saying how great is Benny or George, but how great is Jesus. That's what happens with what Peter does here. The people turn to the Lord. Well, then we hear of the disciple Tabitha, uh, whose translated name is Dorcas, so that's not translated. But look at the description in verse 36, because it's a great one. It tells us she was always doing good and helping the poor. Wouldn't you love to have those few words added to your name after it was mentioned? It's a great description. And the key word, of course, is always. Not she once did good and occasionally helped the poor. Not when she felt like it or when she had a bit extra, she kind of looked out for it. She always did good and help the poor. It's a great description of Tabitha here. But poor Tabitha dies. And Peter is urged, the, the, the Christians around there hear that Peter's in the area, so a couple of them go to Peter and urge Peter to come at once to where Tabitha is lying. And so Peter goes and is taken upstairs in the house where Tabitha's body is. Other widows were told of their mourning, and they show Peter some of Tabitha's clothes. Peter then sends them out, and he gets down on his knees, and he prays. Then he says, Tabitha, get up. The prayer, I think, is important there because we need to be clear, this is not because Peter's got some internal supernatural power in and of himself. He's asking the Lord to do his work. But wonderfully, she comes back to life. We're told at first she opens her eyes, she then sits up, she then gets up, and then Peter presents her to the others. That must have been an incredible moment. Don't miss those incredible moments, will you, when you read through the book of Acts. And again, we see the result of it, which is even more wonderful in a way. Uh, this leads to more people believing in Jesus. Always the result of these miracles happening in Acts. People see them and then go, Jesus is real. His power is real. What he's doing is real. And people change their lives as a result of it. 
Well, then our last verse tells us that Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Well, there are the verses. That's our passage. There's only one thing I want us to focus on today. And you may have already been asking yourself, as you heard this uh, passage read, or as I just went through it very quickly, why some of the details are there. There's some odd details included in these verses and some things that you might expect to be there which aren't. To answer it, I want to tell you the thing that I want us to take away more than anything else this morning, and that is the significance of Peter. The significance of Peter. See, there's more going on in these verses than can, at first, meet the eye. For instance, why are we focusing on Peter? We've suddenly moved back to Peter after Saul, and the Saul was a big builder. This uh, incredible guy who hates Jesus, hates the, the Christians, suddenly has become a Christian and has been given this wonderful ministry of apostle to the Gentiles, uh, and yet we straight away, and he just begins that, and then suddenly we're back to Peter. Why? Without warning, suddenly, abruptly, we've switched to Peter. And Peter only lasts for a small interlude here. He goes through to about chapter 12, then the, shift, then the, the book shifts focus back to Saul, back to Paul, and it will remain on Paul for the rest of the 16 chapters left in the book of Acts. So why have we gone back to Peter now? Especially because I would say that in the little interlude that is here with Peter, the main part of it is the part that we're going to look at next week, where we see Cornelius, the first Gentile, the first non-Jew, trust and follow in Jesus. And we've just been told that it's Saul's ministry that he's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So why, when it comes to the first Gentile becoming a Christian, do we focus on it with Peter? Especially because when it picks up on Saul, Paul again in chapter 13, that's going to be the rest of his ministry. Going around the Gentile areas, seeing Gentiles converted and turning to the Lord and growing in their faith. So why back to Peter here? Why does Peter get the first Gentile convert? Well, let's keep thinking. Notice Peter in these two miracles makes it clear that what he's actually doing is all about Jesus. In verse 34, what did he say to Aeneas? Jesus Christ heals you. He makes it very clear it's about Jesus. And as I said, when he raises Tabitha, he first prays, and then people turn to Jesus, not to him. But more than that, it's not just that he's, it's Jesus that's kind of doing Peter is speaking and acting like Jesus here. I wonder if you noticed that. Do these two miracles remind you of anything else? They're supposed to. They've been written and used language and words that are supposed to remind us of incidents from the Gospels. When Peter says to Aeneas, get up and take up your mat, and we're told immediately he got up, what does that remind us of? Another paralysed man that Jesus first healed in the Gospels. Very similar language, very similar setup. And when Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, did that remind you of anything else? Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Same kind of language, come at once. Peter's asked to come at once. The wailing, mourning people being sent out of the room so that it's just the, the dead body. And then the words that Peter uses. Anyone remember the phrase that Jesus uses with um, Jairus' daughter? Talitha kum. Literally here it's tabitha kum. One letter difference. That's what's kind of going on. 
Now, what's the significance of those two miracles of Jesus back in the Gospels? Well, remember that the healing of the paralysed man by Jesus wasn't just about getting someone who couldn't walk to walk again. Do you remember that, that healing had a very specific reason, a very specific purpose? Do you remember Jesus' words with that healing? He said, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat and go. Think about that. He didn't heal him to actually fix his legs. He healed him to show that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So that particular miracle was showing that Jesus had the authority to forgive people's sins, to give forgiveness. Well, Peter is showing the same authority of Jesus being worked out. Then the, um, uh, <coughs> the miracle of raising Jairus' uh, daughter back to life shows that Jesus has the authority that over death itself to bring life. Peter's showing the same kind of authority. So those miracles are showing Jesus' authority over sin and over death. And Peter is showing that Jesus' power and authority is continuing through him and the other apostles at this moment. Then did you wonder about the strange little detail on the last verse of the passage? We were told that Peter stays with the tanner Simon. It's an odd kind of, he doesn't crop up. And that points there, why? Because the tanner was seen back then as what? Unclean. Because they dealt with the dead animal skins. So again, Peter's behaving like Jesus, the one who ate and stayed with tax collectors and sinners. So Peter is doing the ministry of Jesus in the name of Jesus, getting people to turn to Jesus. But why Peter? Why couldn't Saul be doing this? This is my original kind of question. Why this little interlude with Peter? Well, do you remember back in the Gospels again, in Matthew 16, there's a very important part that happens. Jesus is with his disciples. I'm sure you'll remember this. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And do you remember how the disciples answer that? They say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Uh, some people say you're Elijah uh, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Most important question anyone in this world can answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? And it was Peter, do you remember, who was brilliant at that moment. It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then what did Jesus say to Peter in Matthew 16? He said these words to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Peter is given this incredible role and responsibility. He's been told he's given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is the reason for all the jokes about Peter at the gates of the pearly gates. Because of the, these few words, verses. But I don't think that's what Jesus, I don't think Jesus was starting a, a joke series on Peter at the pearly gates when he said this. He's talking about the specific role that Peter will have for the good news of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven going out into the world. Going out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Do you remember, I've mentioned a few times in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8 is key to the book. Because in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and then it's like a, a bigger concentric circle, Judea, Samaria, then the biggest one to the ends of the earth. And that's how the book of Acts works. Starts off in Jerusalem, then it moves to Judea, Samaria, then it moves to the Gentiles, which is the end of the end of the earth. What do those things have in common? Peter. Peter's there foundationally at every single step. When the gospel comes to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, who's preaching? Peter. When the good news goes to the Samaritans, who are not Jews, but they're half Jewish, it's Philip who takes it there first, but the Jews send who to go and authenticate that it's happening? Peter. And it's when Peter gets there that suddenly the Holy Spirit comes. And Peter's able to go, the Gospels come to Judea, Samaria. Next week we will see the same thing happen with a Gentile for the first time. The ends of the earth, and it will be Peter that's able to see it. He is the one who has especially been given this role. And we'll see more of it next week. So Peter is fulfilling that responsibility he's got of being the one with the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But you also notice that his ministry and the ministry of the apostles is the ministry of Jesus. Same word, same message, same point, same pattern. And I point that out today because sometimes people try to put a wedge between Jesus and his apostles. You'll see this. If you move in Christian circles long enough, you'll see this happen. Well, I like Jesus, but I don't like Paul. Jesus' words are in red. They're more important. Uh, you see it on the, the issue facing the church at the moment, the same-sex one. People will sometimes say, well, Jesus never said anything about uh, that sort of stuff. Only Paul did. And do you see what's trying to happen? We're trying to make a division between Jesus and his apostles. Now, Jesus did actually say things on it. He spoke very clearly on what marriage was. But we're trying to put a, a, a division. We can, the Bible doesn't allow us to do that. The apostles' ministry, the words, the pattern, the, the, the purpose was exactly the same as Jesus' was. That was their role. Don't divide them. Therefore, do you see why these miracles are very particular here? This is not a passage saying we should expect to see this all the time today. Very important to point that out because sometimes people go, well, I haven't experienced that healing or my loved one did die. Why did it not happen? I think, this is from memory, so I probably should have looked this up before I said it, but I think from memory there's only five people in the whole scriptures that raised people from the dead. You can come and correct me after this if I'm wrong. But I think there's, there's Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. There's Peter and Paul in the book of Acts. And there's Jesus. That, that's it. It doesn't happen very often. And it only happens even in those five cases to say, this is my man. This is the person that I'm using at this time who is my spokesman. So these two miracles here are being, shown to, are being uh, given to us to show that Peter is fulfilling the specific role he's got as key keeper to the kingdom of heaven and signing off on the gospel going out. And it's showing that the apostolic ministry is the same as Jesus' ministry going out. That's the main point of these particular healings here. The significance of Peter should be really clear to us here. And more than that, we should see that the ministry of Peter is the same as the ministry of Jesus. And therefore, the, same, the ministry of all the apostles is the ministry of Jesus. Now, I've got... Uh, that's the only thing I wanted to get across. But uh, let me, give me two minutes to say one other thing to take away from this passage. As well as uh, showing the significance of Peter, I want to encourage you this morning by just saying that the another way of looking at these miracles is to see them as a foretaste of the new creation. I want you to be encouraged by this. The, the, these miracles are a foretaste to the new creation. 
There's lots of ways of looking at miracles and healings uh, through the New Testament. They point to Jesus, absolutely. They authenticate the one who performs them as a servant of God, absolutely. But the one I want to highlight just now for a moment is they're a foretaste of the new creation. What I mean by that is these healings, these bringing back to life, they're a reminder that in the life to come, these things will not exist anymore. And that's big. There will be no sickness. Most of my family's not here today because we've got a case of chicken pox. Chicken pox is not that bad, but it's a pain. I'm pleased to say this morning there'll be no chicken pox in the new creation. <laughs> Laura is even more pleased to hear that news. There will be no physical failures or struggles in the new creation. There will be no mental struggles or emotional breakdowns. There will be no relational disasters. There will be no death in the new creation. The ministry of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus as it continues on through the apostles shows us in part what the next life will be like when the fall and its consequences will be dealt with properly, where there will be no sickness, no tears, no death. And I point that out this morning because sometimes we need to remember that it won't always be like it is now. Sometimes this may be the only kind of fading light at the end of a very long, dark tunnel. If you've struggled today with ongoing long-term sickness or pain, I want to tell you that you won't always. If you know the absolute agony of mental illness or emotional difficulties, or you've had huge relational blowouts, I want to tell you that it will not always be like that, and you will not have to go through it in the new creation. Death is one of the hardest of all, as we lose our loved ones, and at one level they can't be replaced, that hole uh, is not there, and sometimes it's facing our own mortality. Death will be gone. It'll be gone. When Jesus heals, what he's doing is showing us the reality of the life that awaits us, what it will be like. That'll be wonderful. We'll have new bodies. Can't wait for a new body. <laughs> and those bodies, we're told, will be impervious and non-perishable. Don't ask me how that works. I've been trying to work it out. I've been trying to go, well, what's peak body time? Is it when you're 20? Is it when you're 25? For me, it was a long time ago. I don't know how it works. But the body will work as God intended it. Hallelujah. And not just that, there'll be no sickness that comes to it, there'll be no deterioration that comes upon it, there'll be no decline to it or weakening. Then there'll be the no tears. I take it that's the emotional, mental, relational, that's summed up with no tears. Imagine that. Relationships that are perfect, honouring, loving, where you don't have to worry or hold on to that and know it's your future. If you trust in Jesus, that is your future. For those of you here this morning that may not trust in Jesus, that can be your future because Jesus offers it to everyone who turns to him. This is why we want people to turn to him. This is a foretaste of the new creation. But it's only a foretaste. So don't start thinking it will happen all the time here. You can see that. I think verse 41, can we get verse 41? I think it shows the sadness of that here. Because this is a wonderful moment, right, as Peter takes Tabitha, who's just been raised from the dead, and presents her to the believers and widows. In other words, there were other people there who'd lost loved ones, and they didn't have their loved ones back. 
because this is only a foretaste. This is still the age of fallenness and sin and the consequences of sin. But it's a foretaste of what lies ahead. It points to what will be. Remember that, especially when it gets difficult in this life. Keep it in mind. If you're struggling with any of these sorts of things, be confident it will one day pass. It will not always be like this. And let that be an encouragement, something to help fortify you and strengthen you in, in, the, in the harder times. The wonderful thing about this passage is these miracles weren't just for the benefit of Aeneas and Tabitha. We've seen in the passage, through these miracles and through them being uh, healed, many believed in Jesus and received the forgiveness and eternal life that these two miracles pointed to. So it wasn't just for those two, it was for those who believed. But they also benefit us as they give us renewed confidence in Peter and his ministry and the apostolic ministry that centres on Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And they point us to the life, the reality of the life that awaits us. There's much to give thanks for this morning. Let me do that now. Father, we thank you for this chance this morning to remember and see the works that you did through Peter that would have meant so much to Aeneas and so much to Tabitha and so much to those who loved, but it obviously made so much difference to others as well, and it makes such a difference to us today. Lord, give us hope, give us confidence and assurance that you who ministered through Peter continue to change lives today and you assure us of the life ahead. We thank you so much for our Saviour, our King, our Good Shepherd, our Lord. And in his name we pray. Amen.